20% of the population has a disability. 80% of the population will become disabled in their lifetime. And we don't see that in the media. As an actor with a disability, for me, I want the job, right? And if you look at all of these Oscar winners, the majority of them are for playing disabled roles by able-bodied people. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of What Makes You Think, the show that flips the traditional interview format, showing you a unique and often funny side to some of your favorite figures in sports and entertainment. But don't worry, we get to some real stuff too. I'm your host, Nicole Langevin, and I wanted to give you a couple little updates. If you are ever curious about the videos that I surprise my guests with each week, you can check the show notes and there'll be a YouTube link where you'll find a playlist for each guest. I've also added a playlist of gymnastics conversations where you'll find snippets of single conversations from the show. Be sure to continually check precisionchoreo.com. The registration page is constantly being updated with clinics, workshops, camps, and other events that I'm either participating in or hosting. And speaking of events, we have a competitive edge workshop coming up October 9th and 10th in Stoughton, Massachusetts at Gymfinity Gymnastics. This is open to all levels of women's competitive, Excel, JO, DP, whatever it's called now. All women's competitive levels are welcome, coaches as well. The Competitive Edge Workshop is a two-day workshop. First day is focused on artistry, showmanship, and understanding and reducing non-value part deductions on beam and floor. So basically, we're spending a day focusing on footwork, posture, flexibility, and artistry as well as some focus on dance elements. Day two is the My Gym Judge portion where athletes will come in. They will do a circuit on every event, so there's no waiting around. They will have a station at every circuit, which will be them performing their routine or partial routine in front of a judge. At the end of the workshop, coaches will receive a video of every single one of their athletes' routines with a judge's voiceover. In addition, during the workshop, athletes are able to not only get feedback from the judges, but try to implement that feedback right then and there. So if you are interested in sending athletes or coming as a coach, you can go to precisionchoreo.com backslash registration, and you will see the Competitive Edge Workshop in Massachusetts, October 9th to the 10th. Now back to the show. My guest today is the epitome of multi-talented. He's the front man for one of LA's top bands, He's an actor who's been featured on such shows as How to Get Away with Murder and Showtime's Weeds. He's even graced the stage of the Oscars. He is absolutely relentless in his pursuit to ensure inclusivity for performers of all abilities. And I'm lucky enough to call him a friend. Ladies and gentlemen, Tobias Forrest. All right, so Toby. Yes. It's been a little while since I've seen you. You are, uh, you're probably one of the most fascinating people I've ever met and you're pretty damn funny. So can you just give me a real quick, you know, I introduced you as uh, you are a musician, you're a singer, you're an actor, overall performer. What, what's going on with you right now as far as your entertainment career? Sure. Um, well, I am a Hollywood slasher. I uh, am an actor slash singer slash writer slash whatever else doesn't pay me. (laughs) (laughs) But when you are an artist, as you know, um, it's, it's a disease, it's an affliction and you have to do it. 
And I've been very fortunate, as you have been kind enough to put in your intro, that I've done a lot of things, including the Oscars last year. And um, I was on How to Get Away with Murder, which was great. Uh, and then um, this past year, I released my own short film that I wrote called Dead End Drive, which is a uh, zombie short film. Now it's in festivals all over the place. Yeah. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Well, recently, I got to do a, a game show, which should be coming out sometime this fall. Do we get yeah. to know what it is or is it a secret? There's four T's in the title. Um, <laughs> I'm afraid if I say it, then people will know that I'm an absolute liar. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. <laughs> But it's an old game show. That's yeah, there. it is. All right. Well, what I do want to bring up is the fact that, like I said in the intro, you are pretty relentless in your pursuit to ensure inclusivity of performers of all abilities. And you obviously uh, can relate. So, And I did not mention in the intro, and I wanted you to kind of let everybody know why that is so important to you. For me as an artist, I really feel like film has an obligation to sort of represent the world around it. Art should represent the world at its time and the world around it. And 20% of the population has a disability. 80% of the population will become disabled in their lifetime. Wow. And we don't see that in the media. We see uh, a barely a percentage of that. Right. Um, and then, in addition, as an actor with a disability, for me, I want the job, right? And right. Uh, if you look at all of these Oscar winners, the majority of them are for playing disabled roles by able-bodied people. Right. Who, while it's amazing to see someone transform, imagine what it's like when somebody brings true authenticity to the role. And only twice have Oscars gone to people with disabilities for playing people with disabilities. It was Marley Matlin in the uh, 80s, Harold Russell in the 1940s. Wow. And so already that lesson should have been learned, but it hasn't. We still digitally disable people. And uh, we don't at least do the opposite. And so... For people with disabilities who are actors, if we're only considered for roles that are disabled, we're not considered for anything else that mentions disability. Like if it doesn't say father in a wheelchair, uncle in a wheelchair, teacher in a wheelchair, I'm not going to be brought in for the role. And then if the lead role is blank guy in a wheelchair, but they only go, hey, we only want famous people to bring in the dollars for this role. Uh, then it's up to those famous people at that point to go, Hey, I would rather not, I would rather someone from this community represent it as authentically as possible. And and I do the same thing recently. There was a role that came to me that was for, um, uh, it was for someone that was gay and I'm, I, as an actor am fine portraying that. But as a human being, knowing, knowing that I have friends of that community that can authentically represent that, I don't want to take that opportunity from them, right? So, and it has to go across the board. And yeah. 
more importantly, children in the world should see examples of themselves on the screens that they're watching so that right. they know they can do whatever they want. Right. Yeah. So have you ever done that flip side where it says uncle and every, every part of that role, except for maybe the physical description of that role suits you. Doesn't say he's not in a wheelchair, just doesn't say that he is. Have you ever shown up for that and, and just slayed it? I mean, I feel yeah. like you could. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you were asking what, if I've ever had a role. If you've that, gone in for an audition. It wasn't described as a disability role. Right. You show up and you're like, here I am. So there was one of my very first, actually my first sort of coast or big co-star role with a big chunk of dialogue, uh, actually guest star role, I think, um, was on CBS's The Defenders. Mm -hmm. And so they brought me in and this was opposite Jim Belushi. And I wow. just had a huge chunk of dialogue. But the way that I got the role it was just described as arson specialist. So arson specialist, that was it. Had nothing to do with the wheelchair, nothing at all. I auditioned, did the part, and they ended up calling me in for it. They said, we opened this role up to everybody, people with disabilities, people without, just opened at the director's request. Then I'm working with the director, and he recognizes me, um, he didn't from the audition, but we had sat a couple seats apart at, um, a premiere one time and a friend of mine and I were telling him about sort people with disabilities and just the fact that we would love to portray anybody, you know, and he remembered that. And when this audition came around, he opened it up and sort of in a weird manifest destiny moment, uh, I ended up getting the job, um, and we only realized it after the fact. Yeah. Wow. So you weren't, I, I freaking love this life stuff. So you weren't doing that to self-promote necessarily. You were doing that for the greater good of what you believe. Yeah. I just said, Hey, I got a lot of respect for you. And, uh, here's kind of our plight. Yeah. Here's what we unfortunately are still fighting for. And, um, for me, I understand the mentality as a producing mind. I understand you need to bring in a name to sell your product. Regardless, it's just marketing and advertising. Yeah. They've done it throughout for movies from, you know, Superman on back. And, um, and I understand that, but uh, at the same time, they've done the opposite and it's worked and it's proven to have worked many, many times, you know, you hire someone that's sort of from nowhere, but that lives this part authentically, yep. it tells a greater story. Um, so hopefully the world is adapting a little bit and opening their minds to that. Yeah. But I still see movies where I've got an able-bodied actor playing a disabled person and this is 2021 and um, it's unfortunate because I know there's someone out there that's qualified for the job that right. would do it so truthfully. Well, it's almost as if they're just assuming that there aren't people out there that are in a chair that can't act. Are, that's the right. That's basically what they're saying. And that's, then that's clearly 
clearly so far from the truth. Like the singer Sia, she uh-huh. did a video. I'm sure you kind of came, you heard about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you go, well, I'm sure there's a young girl out there with Down syndrome who would have done that beautifully. And unfortunately, we don't get to see, we didn't get to see that version because someone had that mindset. Yep. Um, or someone didn't take the, the, the time or the due diligence to, to do the searching, yep. um, which, you know, is what kind of what's required sometimes. Uh, yeah. I, and I think that goes back to the fact that, you know, you don't have a, a, a large enough pool of people because they, you, you don't have enough children that were inspired right. to know that, that there weren't barriers or that there were barriers that, that they could get past them. Right. This industry. Yeah. I wonder though. So I just did an interview with an athlete and before I did the interview, I was trying to figure out how to introduce her. And this athlete has down syndrome. She's a world champion. She's phenomenal. I mean, some right. of the stuff that she, she does rhythmic gymnastics, um, beautiful extension, really nice artistry. I mean, she is, she's exceptional. And I, I realized I was struggling because I was, I was so nervous to say the wrong thing. <laughs> I was so nervous because who the hell am I to, to be in a place to speak to somebody where I, I could, I don't have the training to do that. I, was, all these things are going through my mind. Right. And I just feel like that's probably a very, a very common thing. I think people just need to be educated and there's, you know, you say stigma sometimes, but I think that the stigma is, is the other person on the other side going, I don't know how to handle this situation. I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I'm just not going to do it because it's uncomfortable. Um, so the athlete's name is Lonnie DeMello and her coach, his name is Cindy Bickman. And Cindy Bickman, Bickman is on the Special Olympics board for USA Gymnastics. She's been doing it forever. So I talked to her and I said, Cindy, how do I, how do I introduce her? What's the right terminology? How do I, do I call her a Special Olympian or Special Olympics athlete? And she goes, she's a rhythmic gymnast. And I just wanted to smack myself upside the head and go, yeah, that's exactly it. But I needed somebody to just kind of shake me a little bit and go, stop overthinking it. She's a gymnast. That's right. that's it. So right. I'm just I just wonder if that's some of the stuff that that disabled performers are experiencing is people being a little intimidated, to be honest, of, of doing it right. Uh, absolutely, I think. And but you, one thing that um, then gets realized as you get exposed to other things is that that's a bit of a universal thing. So, for instance, if you would have been dealing with um, a rhythmic gymnast from the Middle East who was a war survivor and et cetera, you might have been like, oh, how do I handle this situation? Because yeah. I'm familiar with this situation. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's part of it. And uh, this is an interesting experience that I had when I was on How to Get Away with Murder. My first day there, it's the morning. I haven't really met anyone yet, just a couple of the PAs. And I'm just getting there and we're at the door. And Viola Davis, who I'm going to have a big scene with at some point, um, comes towards the door. And I have not been introduced to her yet, so I'm not going to just jump out and be like, hey, blah, blah, blah. And she comes up and just sort of greets everyone, good morning, and 
goes and opens the door and walks in. And one of the PAs says, um, oh, should I have opened the door for her? And the other PA was like, well, I don't know, because, you know, she's a very independent person and, you know, maybe she doesn't want the door opened for her. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. This is what happens when I come towards a door and people go, should I open the door for him? Well, maybe he was, he wants to be independent. Maybe right. blah, blah, blah. And I realized in the same moment that Viola Davis and I were on the same sort of uh, judgment level yeah. uh, uh, across the board. And I, in my heart of hearts growing up in the South, I, I thought, well, who the hell doesn't want a door opened for them? This show is brought to you by Creatively Disruptive, the marketing team behind your team. And I can tell you guys, they have done so much for my businesses in the last few years. And they've also helped countless gymnastics clubs improve their enrollment and basically up their marketing game. They turn your hopes and dreams into data and certainty. Now, I want to take credit for that phrase because it's freaking brilliant, but I can't. <laughs> but it is true. They have a way of making marketing and the results of it crystal clear so that even I can understand it. So check them out at creativelydisruptive.com. This show is also brought to you by Cornerstone Traveling Conventions. Bring the education to you. Cornerstone Traveling Conventions is comprised of multiple world-class gymnastics experts who come straight to your gym and basically put on a coach's education convention right under your roof. You can do it with your own coaches or invite other coaches to join. You know what's great? You get top level coaches education without having to pay for the flights or the hotels or the meals to send your coaches to a pre-existing event. It really is all about your club and what your club needs. And there are no travel costs, not for your coaches, nor for the clinicians that are coming in to work with your coaches. Now, a little side note, I am a part of Cornerstone Traveling Conventions. And so I can tell you wholeheartedly, I believe in this and have seen multiple gyms reap the benefits of it. We offer tracks from preschool to preteen to competitive to recreational and business. And we will work with you to create the perfect educational experience for your staff. If you're interested, shoot an email over to cornerstoneconventionsgym at gmail.com. Against Cornerstone Conventions Gym at gmail.com and get your staff ready for education and motivation. Well, who the hell doesn't want a door opened for them? It's the right, most, right. It's then you're standing by the door, you open the door for the person that's coming towards the door, of course. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You know, unless society has not educated you enough through its media to be exposed to multiple cultures because you haven't been lucky enough and you grew up somewhere that you didn't get to see what Muslim culture was. You didn't get to right. see what disability culture was or what that right. world is. And that's the job of our art form is right. to educate and hopefully inspire along the way that people will make some change in themselves yeah. and then in society. And that's, I mean, because as an entertainer, we're not save, saving lives, um, but we can inspire conversations that can change life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You had, you had an entire, what, cent uh, century, <laughs> decade, two decades, right? 
I'm a vampire. It's been a couple of centuries. Um, I'm but so you, pale and I dress in black. <laughs> you are dressed in black. You have a little dark vibe going on. But you did, you know, you, you have experienced life two different ways. And you, you are, to me, you have never been defined by being in a wheelchair. That's, you're, you're Toby. You're freaking hilarious and you're talented and you're fun to hang out with. You're a good time. But for me, I... It was very, very moving. I, I actually cried. I don't know if I ever told you this, but because you have never been that guy, you have never asked for anybody to treat you differently or, or special treatment, right? You're just your Toby. I don't know. My bandmates might argue. <laughs> your husband might disagree. But uh, the first time that I saw you perform Invisible Man was the first time I felt like I got a glimpse into you know, maybe some of, some of the other side of what you're feeling less than what you put out there on a regular basis. You can't pretend that you don't feel some darker things or some sadder things sometimes that's be lying, right? We all would be lying if we pretended that, but I, I just, I wanted to ask you about that song and ask you if that was a, was that a cathartic thing? Uh, I think uh, I've only intentionally, a lot of the songs I've written, as you know, are sort of tongue in cheek um uh, absurdist um mm. sort of you know we're talking about lizard people and yeah. stuff like that uh, ultra vulture and yeah. what's the what's the whores but the horse <laughs> yes right right, right. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of sort of maybe social or just funny tongue-in-cheek stuff that's there for me and only i think um a couple times a few times have i really intentionally written a song with purpose one was Ride On, which speaks about how uh, sort of the lyrics are, even when the road gets rough, um, even when the times get tough, ride on. And, and it just talks about how life, you, you can't try to expect what's going to happen. You have to adapt to what's going to happen. Yeah. So I really did that one. It was also for a group called Ralph's Riders, of other folks like myself who are mobility impaired wheelchair users. I thought that makes sense. It's not totally wheelchair-y. And then I thought, well, let me do another one for everybody, right? Not necessarily just that. And I thought, um, for me, yes, there are moments when I've been viewed in invisible. Uh, absolutely. I've had a profound moment in my disability when I was first hurt. For those people that don't know, I suffered, a, well, didn't suffer, but experienced a C5 spinal cord injury diving off a waterfall in the Grand Canyon. Um, did some drowning, did some dying, and they're not ready for me, or they're not ready for me. And um, I'm sorry, you <laughs> did some drowning, did some dying. I did some dying, whatever. And, uh, oh, so I love you. <laughs> So anyways, um, I had an experience in the hospital when I was waiting to get an x-ray and I'm trying to talk to the nurse who's like, you know, pushing me down there. And I'm like, Hey, what's up, man? How are you? And he just ignores me. I'm a product. The entire time I'm a product, he puts me in the hallway and all the other people treat me like a product for about an hour. And then they're like, Oh, we have to move this product out of the way. And so let's put them in this room for a moment. And they put me in my gurney into a room, <laughs> you know, Hey, what's up product? Let me put you over here and <laughs> don't talk, don't talk to the product. And then, um, 
I'm in there with a cage behind a curtain. And so I'm like, what is this cage all about? And there's this like machine sounding like goat kind of machine noise. And I'm just like, what? There's an animal in this cage, right? So what is this cage and what's the animal and like, what's going on? And I'm in there by myself and I had been feeling so invisible, unnoticed, and nobody was seeing me. And uh, then um, some women came in and they moved the curtain. And I saw that it was a baby on a respirator just trying to survive. And I realized that I had had 22 at least years at that moment of just like amazing life. I was a gymnast. I was a rock climber. I've skied off cliffs. I've experienced love, you know, all of the above. And uh, any kind of self-pity disappeared at that moment because that baby just reached out and was like, hey, I will give you all the inspiration you need wow. to live and to not feel invisible at that moment. And so all that disappeared. And that wasn't my intention with the song. Like only now talking about the song, do I realize, oh yes, this is the moment I felt the most invisible. It still happens. People still ignore me or, or they pay too much attention to me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, but the song Invisible Man is that, um, you know, it's, it's really up to you. You have to make yourself, you have to not see yourself as invisible. Um, and even though other people might ignore you, you can still make your presence known and have the confidence and have the self-awareness and the self-confidence and whatever else it takes. Yeah. yeah. To, to not be invisible. I think that song could reach so many people in so many different situations. And I've, I've thought for so long cities and songs should be, could be mainstream so easily. They're, they're catchy. And enough, ironically enough, Nicole, I'm wearing a shirt that says combustion films because I did a film <laughs> called special unit with uh, Christopher Titus. And um, I play an undercover police officer and he liked invisible man so much that he put it in the credits of the movie. Oh, he did. Yeah, so in oh, the, if you watch good. the movie, it's everywhere. It's to, it's on every streaming platform right now. Oh, that's awesome. Um, a special unit. And, okay. And you'll hear Invisible Man for sure. All right, I'm going to put that in the um, show notes. And I've also been lucky enough to put other songs into other shows. Um, uh, you know, I was able to put Lizard People into a TV show that I did. So it's been... That is remarkable to be able to have both worlds and yeah. both together and go, oh, these are the things I love and I get to do it. And I've been lucky enough to, you know, experience wonderful people like yourself along the way who continue to give me a platform <laughs> and say, hey, here's what I think is important, at least yes. a little bit in my world. Right. It is. It's important in the whole world. And you are, com you've always combined those things, even just with your music, because you're so theatrical when you perform. And right. we're, so have you always performed that way? Is that like, did you always think of music as a, as an outlet for acting as well? Or is, is that something that came along more recently? Like since I knew you, cause I know there was a whole world of music before I met you. 
music's always been a part of my life. My parents both played music, but um, I lost them at a young age, my birth parents. So I stopped playing music. I didn't know that I really had any musical ability. I was very lucky to be adopted by a wonderful aunt and uncle who became my mother and father. And I got a brother and sister out of the deal, or at least my yeah. sister and I. So now I've got a brother, two sisters, you know, wonderful parents. Um, but I've also experienced the loss of parents and the loss of music in my life. I've experienced the loss of music twice in my life, once in the very beginning. And you were then, a drummer, right, before? You used um, to be a drummer? I was, I was uh, originally, I played uh, guitar when I was a little kid. I you know, was oh. able to play instruments as a young child and stopped when I was not around that world. And then when I was in military school, in high school, I joined the choir. And that's how I found out, oh, I can kind of sing or I can yeah. fake sing. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, I, my first experience was singing at uh, uh, Carnegie Hall in New York City. Way to kick it off. On Christmas, Christmas Eve or something like that. It was a remarkable first time, ex like, performance experience. Um, and then I went to college, uh, got some liquid courage and was playing, <laughs> watching some friends, Jeff Lime specifically yep. played music. And I jumped in and started singing, and that's how music kind of re-entered my life. And I started with bands, um, and I did that for a couple of years, and then ended up getting hurt, and music left my life. And then about five years went by, I moved to Los Angeles. Jeff Line re-entered my life. Yep. Music re-entered my life. We created a band and started playing all over the place and um called cities in as you know and yep. and we were very fortunate to have a, a tons of amazing people play in the band including your husband derek liner which is how our our little family all came together yep. and and that was a time in cities and that was really flourishing and yeah like when i think of you the memories are so grand and great i mean who would do uh, backflips and all of that stuff at a show on the, you know, the handstand queen. Uh, yeah, can't help no it. One could light up a dance floor quite like Nicole. You are amazing. <laughs> I was moved by the music, man. So yeah. good. So I I looked desperately for this quote, and I could not find the actual quote. But right now seems like the right time because you did kind of touch upon it. Did you see Monster? Yeah, it's been okay. a long time. Okay. So you are freaking phenomenal and one of the most positive people I know. There's a quote because of what I have heard about your past that I wanted to see what it, what it made you think about. In the movie, Christina Ricci's talking to her mother. And her mother's basically like, why are you with this monstrous person? Right. And Christine Ricci, she tries to validate, she tries to make sense out of why she's, why Eileen Warnos is so terrible. And she tries to explain to her, well, mom, you don't understand. She had a terrible childhood. You know, she was abused and these terrible things happened. So, and the mom stopped her and she said, do you realize if everybody who had terrible things happen to them in their childhood turned out like that, the world would be filled with serial killers and, you know, morally corrupt people. It's not an excuse. Does that strike anything with you? 
absolutely. Um, I ha- I have tons of little quips and sort of life sayings, mantras, whatever you may call them. And one of them is that explains it, but it doesn't excuse it. And that's really my philosophy with everybody. Um, you were drunk. Okay. Well, that explains it. Doesn't excuse it. Uh, you were raised a certain way. Well, that explains it, but it doesn't excuse it. Um, a certain thing happened to you. Uh, it keeps on, keeps on going. And so I don't have a high tolerance um, for people that choose not to cope. Some people are incapable because they've got serious chemical imbalances, all the above. I think most of us are too um, inebriated (laughs) by uh, substances and society that, that we forget. And sort of biggest sort of problem with America is entitlement. And we think that we're entitled to a perfect life. We think that we're entitled to, um, if we had a bad childhood, we're allowed to do whatever we want. We think all of those things. You can either, with a bad childhood, become a criminal or a superhero. I mean, that's pretty much what the comic books say. Um, I think at this point I'm supposed to have superpowers. Uh, I've lost both parents and I'm disabled. And if that doesn't scream comic books, I don't know what does. Uh, (laughs) I should be a vigilante for all rights and reasons or a super criminal, but I've chosen the lazy life of being an actor. So and that that was that was what I I had not known. I I didn't know about your parents specifically your mom and I just think it's such a powerful me- I mean you just said the message right there. But I think to actually hear somebody who experienced what you experienced with that after hearing the last 53 minutes of you talking you wouldn't realize that that you had gone through what you went through. No, I mean I was prepared sort of in a sense for my injury even um, because I, my father left when I was a kid at a very young age, he split and my mom was murdered, um, when I was nine years old and I had to, you know, testify in court against the guy and put him away in jail and all the above. And so that really built a foundation of understanding loss in my life, but also understanding that with loss comes an equal or greater replacement. You know, I lost my parents, but I was able to get really loving, amazing replacements. And, um, and, you know, my party in heaven just gets bigger with the people that I lose. So my welcome party just gets bigger, (laughs) uh, you know, and I never, um, because of these experiences of loss, because of my experience of losing my own life and, um, being saved by friends and strangers, uh, you learn a little bit about the value of it and also the value of death. I think um, I recently lost a a nephew of mine, um, my cousin's son. Um, And he was only 22, uh, pretty much the same age as I was. And it was really profound. He was born shortly after my injury and was really the, 
sort of came in and uplifted the family and did so much and to lose him without my previous experience might have been even harder than it is. And it's terrible to lose someone so young and so beautiful. Um, but the beauty of me knowing, or at least being confident that absolute love is on the other side of this um, is rewarding. And to know that that's what he is, is absolute love at this point is great. And, and, and it's like, it continues on with, my mom and the people who I've lost and will continue to lose, including myself someday. And I will join back on to the, the great roller coaster into the sky and uh, see what's on the other side. With your big party. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard it quite put quite that way. All right. So I, I heard that you've got a, I don't even know if we call it a skill, but you're a psychology major. Is that right? I do have a master's in a master. Okay. Yes. Master's in psychology. And uh, I have heard from a friend of yours that you have a unique way that sometimes you use that out in the real world, the way you apply it to the real world. Is this uh, sparking anything for you? Do you mean, need me to elaborate more? No. In fact, I just did a little um, podcast with mm, about four or five other quadriplegics. And I mentioned um, social manipulation. Uh, just the fact that sometimes you have to do that. You, you get tired of asking all the time. And so you strategically go to a door just as someone else is going to a door. <laughs> right? And then they have to face the circumstance of, is this Viola Davis? Uh, <laughs> and, you know, then so... Yeah, it's really about that. And, you know, kind of getting, you know, nudging people without necessarily asking because you're so used to having to ask for everything in the world right. that you have to use a little bit of psychology. You have kids. You understand. A good parent oh. is a good liar. I, good I mean, I feel like I lie every day, but it's for the greater good. I swear. <laughs> a good parent is a good liar and is someone who adapts to the situation and can manipulate much smaller humans <laughs> you know it's like it sounds so terrible when you say it, it that way they don't want to eat it well guess what now it's a game it's sure. a mental game between you and your child and who's gonna win mm -hmm. and it's a <laughs> constant power struggle for sure for sure so but is this also i mean you got to admit this it's got to be a little bit for your own entertainment as well sometimes um yeah things i mean if i really wanted to I could terrorize the world just a, <laughs> just a little bit. I would, uh, you know, Nicole, I thought I would like to do a hidden camera episode where I go up to people and I say, can I pray for you? And if they say yes, I lay hands on them. And I say, dear God, Father above, I want you, I want you to take this child of your fire and your light, and I want you to show them the glory of a disabled life. Right after this prayer, put them in a horrifying car accident, whatever you got to do, God. I mean, take away their eyesight, their legs, I don't care. But just show them the glory of it. And to see how far that would go with your average able-bodied person. You're such an ass, but a brilliant one. <laughs> I'd like to do it, but I just don't have the guts. 
I mean, maybe someone's going to hear this and go, that's the next big thing. That's hilarious. And, and just so you know, the quote from your buddy says, I said, does he have any, but I say special talents. Does he have any special talents? And the response was, well, he's a psychology major and he uses it to f- people. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I don't know if that's a talent. I, I think it's great. Um, I, I think we might have something there. I mean, like I said, epitome of multi-talented you're a painter too i do i mean i did paint not uh, anymore no i did have a painting that was recently stolen that was exciting that you did somebody stole it up the price of my artwork yeah i guess so <laughs> um yeah i had a, my very first painting i painted was a guy in a wheelchair with the shadow of somebody standing and i did a poem about it oh, and uh, so the sun is behind him but it also kind of looks like an exploding hospital. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it could be the sun or an exploding hospital. And I'm the shadow is of somebody standing. Um, but uh, so that painting was in um, a sort of a gallery that was at a rehab hospital. And I guess someone really liked it during the COVID times and decided that was the one to take home. But it was a... <laughs> It was a gift, so it was a compliment. And but I, also, I, yeah, <laughs> kind of. I mean, horrible. Like the, the you put it wasn't for sale. It was like you know, right? That was just a moment in my life I captured on canvas. And um, no big deal. No big yeah, deal. No big deal. But it, I had to take it as a compliment. Well, they didn't uh, steal it because they hated it. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna burn this. <laughs> I hate this. Nobody can see it now. So what's your, can you explain your, your technique with painting? For me, when I would paint, it's really, I have gloves and I just put the paintbrush in here and it's all shoulder movements from that point. Um, I don't do painting so much anymore because I think you come to a point as a creative person where you go, well, how many plates can you spin? Yeah. And uh, what plates are helping? Yeah. Acting is the, na- is the main one. I got to spin that plate until it, Spins no more. Um, so, yeah. And uh, and so I might get back into painting at some point. I mean, I don't do music as much as I used to. I've done a little bit over this year, but not very much. Yeah. Um, and as we know, a creative types, you have to like feed your fires. Yeah. And um, so at certain points in my life, I might go, oh, I've got to pick up the paintbrush again and yeah. really express myself. And my dream has always been to do a thing where it's a bunch of paintings and a bunch of songs that go with the paintings. Nice. And you just put it on and walk around the gallery and listen to the, the songs and see what they mean. So it would be it would kind of be like a immersive music video. You yeah. put yourself right in there and a yep. little aha because it's painting. Aha. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Take me on, huh? Yeah, uh-huh. you said what I did there. Um, all right, so I'm I have a segment of videos, and now I'm getting concerned about the time. We might have to do a part two with the videos because this conversation is just I don't want to stop. So I want to thank you so much for your time today. That was incredible. I knew it was going to be incredible, but you kind of surpassed where I thought it was going to be. So thank you for that. And I know people are going to be super inspired and super entertained, and that's kind of 
if I had to describe you, I'd say you're super inspiring and super entertaining. So, and very insightful. So thank you so much for that. And is there anything you want to share about where people can find you, see what you're doing, check out your, your latest endeavors? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I am horrible at self-promotion. I'm just not good at it, but I am Tobias Easy Forest on Instagram. Tobias Easy Forest or? Tobias Easy Forest. E-A-S-Y-F-O-R-R-E-S-T. Two R's. Yeah. Easy is my middle name. It's not what you think. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Cool. But also IMDB, help my star meter rise. Why not? Go to IMDB and look up Tobias Forest. Absolutely. Nice. Is there anything people can do to help you with your plight? Any way that people can get involved in just trying to to get this movement where it should be? Other than become aware with um, organizations that are really helping push the agenda forward. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's the Media Access Awards every year. It's a huge award show that celebrates disability in film. Um, uh, I did another film with a director named Jenny Gold called Cinemability, which tells about the history of disability throughout the cinema mm-hmm. and throughout um, the film industry. And um, there's also places uh, like Easter Seals. They have a disability film challenge put on by my friend Nick Novicki. Every year they, they open up this film challenge to uh, people with and without disabilities As long as it includes someone with a disability um, or disability in somehow, some way behind or in front of the camera and things like that. There's also the Ruderman Foundation looking up whatever, you know, just looking it up online. You'll find out the very few resources and how we can support other films that really um, celebrate disability authentically. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Perfect. I will put all of that in the show notes so people can find out how they can get involved and become uh, more educated on inclusivity. Am I I feel like I'm saying it wrong. No. Inclusiveness? Is inclusiveness or includes? Yeah. I mean, inclusivity, right? Inclusive. um, If you make up words, but you say it like you mean it, people are like, oh, I've never heard that before. They have expanded my vocabulary. called authentic casting, which is basically just casting white dudes. (laughs) Um, but you know, uh, uh, no, that's, that's not true. Um, I have a thing called authentic casting where it's, uh, you know, you try to find someone who is as close to authentically the character as possible. And and if you can't from there, you diversify and you have, you know, diverse casting and things like that. And, Words are important. I realize how important and powerful words are now. Um, but uh, I, I, I think we also have to just try. You know, if you're not sure inclusive is the word, try it. And uh, we risk being corrected by somebody else, you know? Yeah. I'm just going to continue to use both versions on the, on the show and we'll just see which one sticks. All right. But thank you. So much, Nicole. This has been awesome. You're amazing. You're an incredible host. Um, I already know you're a wonderful mom, an extraordinary wife, um, a fantastic gymnast, and teacher, choreography. Yeah. So, I mean, I almost want to interview you at this point. Hey, I, I'm open. Let's do it. We're out of time. Well, we'll do it next time. Yeah. 
All right. Have a good one. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. So that's going to be it for part one. I don't know about you guys, but there's just so much to this guy that I think the world needs to hear. So much so that I'm going to do a part two next week. So make sure you catch that. Thank you, Toby. Thank you for sharing your incredible mind with us, your incredible sense of humor. You are absolutely inspiring and entertaining. If you guys are enjoying the show, please remember that this is a very, very small crew of my husband and I putting this show together every single week. And we need your help. We need these download numbers to go up. So please like, rate, five stars, and review. And please spread the word any way you possibly can. We've got a lot of big plans, but we really need your help to make it happen. If you're not already, you can also follow the show and let us know how we're doing at YouThinkPod on Twitter. You can also connect with me directly on Facebook and Instagram at Nicole Langevin Consultant. Thank you guys so much. And until next week, keep thinking outside the box.